Well, I have my Bible this morning. If you have yours, uh, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament this morning. Joshua uh, chapter number 7. That's page number 266. If you have an old Schofield Bible, Joshua chapter number 7. And if you find your place there, just a moment, I'd like to read a verse or two of Scripture here and ask you, if you will, just to leave your Bibles open and uh, follow me along through the Word of God this morning. And again, thank you for joining us. I invite you to be there again this afternoon at the 5.30 for our Sunday afternoon service. Once again, we'll have more good singing, good music, and then, of course, a message from the Bible. I don't know if the message will be good, but I promise you this, we'll have some good music and singing, and we'll just put up with the message. But I hope you'll join us again at 5.30 for the service this afternoon. And then again, next Sunday, our drive-in service at 10 o'clock. Don't forget that Mother's Day, and we're looking forward to everybody being back together again here on the church property. All right? Joshua chapter 7. If you found your place there, I want you to look this way, if you will. If I mention the word disaster, what pops into your mind? The word disaster. First word comes to your mind. Well, I looked up the word disaster disaster this week in my thesaurus, and here are some synonyms uh, of the word disaster. Uh, the word calamity, the word catastrophe, the word devastation, the word emergencies hardships, and tragedies. You know, for the most part, disasters have just become like the normal uh, of our day. Almost on a weekly basis, you and I hear things like tornadoes, and multiple people are killed, and uh, homes are destroyed, businesses. We hear about tornadoes. We hear about earthquakes, and tsunamis, and raging forest fires, and hurricanes, and cyclones, and now pestilences. And every year, annually, hundreds of thousands of people are killed by disasters. I'm talking about natural, national disasters. But what about personal disasters? What about people who go out and make bad decisions for their lives, and then they wind up creating their own personal disaster? You know, truth of the matter is, we all know people like that. There are people who have sat right here in these seats in Woodland Baptist Church, who have done that very thing. Because of that, they have destroyed their lives and many times the lives of their families and those that are around them. i got a family on my prayer list right now that I try to pray for every day of my life. And the one word that best describes that family today is the word disaster. That family is a disaster. That family has been literally, have, they have literally been destroyed. Well, I've told you all that just to say this this morning. What we have in our text here in Joshua chapter 7 is nothing more than a disaster. It was a personal disaster that led to a family disaster, which in turn led to a national disaster. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, then you'll know Joshua chapter 7 is about a man by the name of Achan. And Achan made a bad choice in his life, and by so doing, he destroyed not only his life, but he also destroyed the life of his family. And in turn, he also destroyed the lives of 36 other men in the nation of Israel. Now, if you're wondering this morning how all of that happened, how could one man do something and, and mess his family up and mess his entire nation up, how can something like that happen? Here's my answer. One step at a time. One step 
at a time. I don't think Achan, I, all my heart, I've read this text this week again, preached from it several times, but I don't think Achan just went out one day and just planned on doing something that would destroy his life and the life of his family. I don't think he woke up one morning and said, man, I hope I can go out today and just have a disaster. I don't think that happened. But I'll tell you how I think it happened. It happened in Achan's life one step at a time. I don't think anybody ever gets up and just rushes right out into the day, grabs their clothes on, goes out and gets into the car and say, man, I hope by the time I get home today that I can create a big disaster. We don't do that. We don't think about going out and ruining our lives and the lives of those around us. That just don't happen. But it happens one step at a time. So this morning, I want to speak on this subject right here. I'm calling it Five Steps to a Disaster. Five Steps to a Disaster. I want to read just one verse. I'll refer to some other verses this morning, but I want you to look at Joshua chapter 7 and verse 21. Now believe this or not, when we break this verse apart, in this one verse we find four of the five steps that lead down the road to disaster. Look at verse 21. Now this is Achan speaking to Joshua, and here's what he said. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. Let me read verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent. They ran unto Achan's tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. Now, just reading that this morning, you say, Preacher, I don't get it. Five steps to a disaster. Well, hang on for just a minute. Let me share with you what this verse teaches us about how to have a personal disaster. Now, of course, as a background to this text, we understand that the first six chapters of the book of Joshua have all been filled with victory and joy for the people of God. Moses is now dead. Joshua is the new leader in the nation of Israel. And under the leadership of Joshua, as far as the book of Joshua goes, the first six chapters, man, they haven't suffered one defeat. And it's just all been joy along the way. One of the greatest obstacles when Israel was on the other side of the land of Canaan before they entered the land was the, uh, the Jordan River. That Jordan River stood as a boundary between them and the promised land. And, and, the, and the crazy thing about it was that river was at flood stage. And here are two million people have got to get across this flooded out river to get over into the land of Canaan. But we know the story. God did a miracle for His people. God brought them into the land of Canaan across the Jordan River. The priest grabbed the ark. They got their feet in the water, and when they did so, the waters just parted, just like they did back at the Red Sea when Israel left the land of Egypt. And so here comes Israel into the land of Canaan. The next obstacle is the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was a large and a fortified city with these high, impregnable walls. And here's Israel's battle plan for conquering that city. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go out for six days, and we're just going to walk around those walls one time a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, what we're going to do is we're going to go out and walk around that wall seven times. And then we're going to shout, and the, and the people are going to blow the trumpets, and God is going to give a great victory. You say, preacher, what happened? God did just exactly what he said he would do. They walked around that wall seven times on that seventh day, shouted, they blew the trumpets, and 
and the walls, as the song says, come crumbling down, come falling down. And Israel got a great victory in the land over the city of Jericho. So everything up to chapter 7 has been going great. Then if you look at the first word of chapter 7, verse 1, boy, we run into a big obstacle. The first word is the word but. Now, if you look at the end of chapter 6 in verse 27, the Bible says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. God was blessing the nation. God was, God was doing great things for his people. And then we come to verse 7, and we step from the, from the noonday of God's blessings into the midnight of God's cursings with one word, the word but. You know... I've encountered that word along the journey of life, and normally when that word shows up, it's never a good thing. I've heard people all my life, uh, I've been pastoring a church now for here at Woodland for 20, I don't know, 25,000 years, and then the one before that one, and, and any time I've ever heard this, it never turns out good. I've had people come from, you know, Brother Tim, I love you, and I love the church, but, oh, here we go. Get ready, get braced, here it comes. Maybe, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the desk from a man and his wife, and I've heard one say to the other, you know, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Now, let me tell you something I've learned about that. Eleven times out of ten, when somebody says that, there's somebody else they got hit over in the corner somewhere. And I'm good at fractions, too, eleven out of ten people. That's exactly right. But how many times... Has that word been a turning stone from going from something good into something bad? Maybe you've put in a resume at a job before and went for an interview, and they said, okay, we looked over your resume. Well, I'll tell you something. You are well qualified for this job, but... You know, that word usually turns the corner not into something good, but into something bad. Well, here in Joshua chapter 7, a nation that has not suffered one defeat, a nation that is walking in victory and in joy for the first time suffers a defeat. For the first time, they understand the agony of defeat. Here they go up against a small country by the name of Ai, a country that they should have easily overthrown, easily have whooped the fire out of them. And right off the bat, the nation of Israel has tucked their tails. They've run. 36 men has lost their lives. And the person to blame for it all is this man by the name of Achan. You see, what happened was before Israel entered the land of Jer the city of Jericho, before, before the walls ever fell down, God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to march around that city, those walls are going to fall down. You're going to walk through the ruins of what was the city of Jericho. But God said, whatever you do when you walk through that city now, don't touch the spoils. I mean, everything that has been left behind in the destruction of the city, God said, that belongs to me. Israel, people, listen to me now. Children, listen to me, God said. Don't touch it. It belongs to me. It goes into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Let me read you the verse where God said that. Back in Joshua chapter 6, verse 19, God said to the nation now, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So God said, okay now. Don't bother anything. Whatever you see laying around, it belongs to me. But then Achan, while walking through the ruins of that city, sees something. 
probably thinking to himself, you know something, it won't matter. You know, it's just a small thing. Nobody will ever miss it. Nobody will ever know. But boy, was, was old Achan wrong. And this verse that I've read for us this morning, in verse 21, kind of lays out the steps that Achan took on his way to a disaster. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning. Obviously, I can't see through this microphone or that camera back there and see who all is listening, but I just wonder. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody this morning, and you're on your way to a disaster. And it's not just going to be a disaster that's going to affect you, but it's going to affect your family. It's going to affect those around you. And my whole point, the whole point of the message this morning is may God use this as a caution light. God, may God lower the arms. May God sound the alarms in your life this morning because nobody, nobody at the end and nothing is worth you destroying yourself or your family for. Amen. So I don't want to do this morning. I want you to join me in verse 21 and I just want to preach the five steps to a disaster. Five steps that Achan took on his way to a personal disaster. First of all, look at verse 21. And let me just say this. I'll talk a little bit, number one, about the step of discovering. The step of discovering. Now, if you'll look at the first three words of verse 21, here's the first step on the road to a disaster. And the first three words are these, when I saw... Now, the first step on the road to a disaster is when you and I begin to look at things that we're not supposed to look at. You know, it's amazing to me. When you go through the Bible, when you read through the Bible, it's amazing to me what all took place in the Bible because of a look, because of a look. Did you know, in a real sense, you and I got saved because we looked? That's right. We got saved because... We look, the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 20. The Bible said, but look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and beside me there is none else. Maybe I got the wrong verse. But that verse, that verse says, look unto me. God said, look unto me and be ye saved. But I'll tell you, when I got saved, what I did is I looked away from my own self-righteousness. I looked away from my own morality. I looked away from my own religious acts and my religious formula. I looked away from all of that, and I looked to the Savior. Boy, I tell you, when you look to Him, when you cast your eyes upon Him, in the look of faith, guess what? You get gloriously saved by the grace of God. Man became saved by look. But did you know something else? Man became a sinner by look. That's right. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, the Bible said when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eye, uh, the Bible said good for food is pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he, You know what happened? You know the reason we got death and disasters and, and diseases uh, going on in our world today? You know how it all came about? Because of a look. She looked, she saw the tree of life. It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. It was something that was pleasant to the eyes. She looked, and when she looked, buddy, I'm telling you, that look led her down the road to a disaster. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It all begins, it all begins when we see something we shouldn't see. 
That's right. We look. You know, Lot looked toward Sodom, lost his family. Lot's wife looked back upon Sodom and lost her life. David looked at Bathsheba. And well, the rest of that is documented in history. And Achan's first step toward a personal disaster was a look. I can just see how it must have happened. Here goes Achan. The walls have fallen down. Houses are destroyed everywhere. People's lives, people laying dead everywhere. And here goes Achan walking through the ruins of the city of Jericho. I can just see him. He's walking through and he's kicking over boards and kicking rocks out of the way. When all of a sudden, maybe he kicked a board and there it laid, a Babylonish garment. The Bible said it was 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And maybe Awaken looked at that and he saw it and he walked away. But he couldn't get it off his mind. He came back again. He looked again. He came back again. He looked again. He kept looking at it and looking at it. And by the way, it wasn't the first look that got him into trouble. It was that second look. It was that lingering look. It was that longer look. It was that, it was that lasting look. And the longer he lingered, the more he looked. And that look, that discovery, uh, that, that mess in his life all came about because he took the first step of discovery. What he looked at. Here's what Jesus said when it comes to the subject of looking at something. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible said, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, if it's pure, if you're looking at what you're supposed to look at, thy whole body shall be full of light. But then he goes on to say this, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. You know what? Jesus is reminding us, hey, be careful. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you discover. Don't choose to look at the wrong thing. By the way, what we look at is a choice. We choose to allow ourselves to look at certain things. Don't continue to look at the wrong things. The step of discovering. When I saw. Again, I just want to magnify the point. It wasn't the first look. He probably saw it, walked on. Maybe he thought to himself, you know, God said no. And he walked on, but then he got to thinking. He goes back again. He looks again. And he looks again. And that's the first step on the road to the disaster is the step of discovering. But there's a second step in this. Look at this, verse 21. He says this, When I saw among the spoils... A, Babylon, a goodly Babylonish garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, uh, of 50 shekels. Then, now here's the second step, I coveted them. So the step of discovering has now become the step of desiring. I coveted them. That word covet, it means to have a strong desire. It means to crave. It means to cave into Literally, it means to lust for. You see, the more that he looked at it, the more he thought, I've got to have it. You know, there's a great verse in our Bible, and I want you to get this. There's a great verse in our Bible, and of all things, it's tucked away in an out-of-the-way Old Testament book. But it has to be one of the greatest verses in the Bible. 
I want them to put it up on the screen for you to look at right now. And here's what it says. Lamentations 3.51. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Oh, brother, you know what that verse teaches us? That verse teaches us that what we look at will eventually get into our hearts. And when it gets into our hearts, it becomes the great desires of our life. He looked. He looked. But then it got into his heart. I, 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 I don't know how all this happened. Maybe it went on for a few days in, in Aiken's life. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how it all came about, but maybe, maybe it happened something like this. He saw it. He kicked the board over. There it laid. He walked on. Maybe he came back a little bit later and saw it still laying there. Maybe he, in his mind, he looked at it long enough to count. Man, there's more than 200 shekels of silver there. Man, I bet that wedge of gold, I bet that wedge of gold's 50 shekels. Boy, wouldn't my wife look good in that Babylonian garment. But he walked on. But the Bible said that maybe he went home that night. Man, he was, maybe he was laying down trying to go to sleep, but all he could think about was what he had saw that day. All he, all he could dream about was what he had seen that day. And then he probably got to thinking about this. Boy, how much better life my life would be if only I had it. Then he convinced himself how happy he would be if only he had the garment, the gold, and the silver. Now, watch this, having it was having him. Possessing it was now possessing him. And the only thing he could think about, maybe he couldn't even lay there and sleep that night, was getting back over there before anybody else did and perhaps taking, taking that wedge of gold, that garment, and that silver. I want to say again, the thoughts of having it was now having him. You see, the first step on the road to disaster is discovering, looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. The second step is the, is the step of desiring, coveting it, strongly craving it, lusting for it. But then there's a third step. Join me again in verse 21. I'm calling this one the step of deciding. Because the Bible said, I saw. Then the Bible said, I coveted. And then if you look right in the middle of that verse, he says this, I took them. I took them. You see, the step of discovering now left, led to the step of desiring, which next led to the step of deciding. No doubt, no doubt in my mind with the Word of God ringing in His ears, that's mine. That belongs to the treasury of the house of the Lord. The silver, the gold, the brass, the iron, that's mine, God said. And with those words ringing in His ears, the Bible said that Achan reached down, went back, saw it again, reached down, grabbed it, no doubt, stuck it under his tunic, thinking nobody will ever know. He gave thought. He gave time. Now we find him taking that which God has forbidden him to have. I wonder this morning who I'm speaking to right now, and you've already taken that first step. You've been looking at things maybe that you shouldn't be looking at. 
Maybe you've taken that second step, that step of desiring. You're desiring something that God has said no to. You're desiring something that God has forbidden. And now you're about to take that third step, that step of deciding. You are about to decide to take a step in your life that God has forbidden you to take. You see, God had drawn a line here for the nation of Israel. God had given very clear instructions as to what, as to His will, as to what was to be done with all the treasury and the, and the spoils that was won from that battle. And yet, Achan crossed the line. Achan failed to do the will of God for his life. He would not listen to God's instructions and he decided to do that which God had said for him not to do. You know the one thing that I've found out in all these years of pastoring and trying to help folks when problems come in their life, once a person has convinced themselves that they're going to do this, you can't talk them out of it. I've just found that to be true in, in, the, in the ministry. Once a person has convinced themselves that something is right, regardless of if it's right with the Bible or if it's right with the Word of God, once they convince themselves it's good, I'd be so much better off without this or with this. Once they reach that point that they've convinced themselves, they've decided they're going to do it, man, just give up because your words are falling on deaf ears. They're going to do it no matter, they're going to do it no matter what. They have decided to see it, to do it. I, I can see old Achan in my mind. Go back over there to where he kicked that boards, where he saw that wedge and garment and silver shekels, where he saw all that, and he kicked that board back over again. He walks around for a while, making sure nobody's going to see him, and he looks that way and that way and that way. He looks behind him. A man, he's making sure nobody's looking, but he forgot to look the most important way. That way. Because can I tell you something? There's nothing that you and I do that God doesn't see. Achan said, I've got to have it. And he reaches down and he grabs it. So the step of discovering, which came next to the step of desiring, has now led to the step of deciding. But there's a fourth step. Join me again in verse 21. When I saw, the Bible said, I coveted. The Bible said, I took them. And then it goes on to say at the, toward the end of the verse, it says this, they're hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Next is the step of deceiving. Deceiving. Yeah. You see, he, he got all that stuff. It's now all in his possession. So he's got to go. He goes and he hides it under the floor of his tent, but now he's got to set about making everybody else think that everything's okay. Yeah, he's got to, he's got to deceive everybody into, every, into getting them to think that even though he's disobeyed God, he's done that which is displeasing and dishonoring to God, he's, he's forbid, he's went directly against the will of God, and he's got this stuff, but now he's got to make everybody else think, but I'm okay. Everything is all Right. So you know what he's got to do? He's got to put on a show now. He's got to convince everybody else that nothing has happened, that everything is fine. Now, wait a minute. He knows, and God knows that he has them, but now he's got to convince everybody else that, that I'm, I'm okay. 
You know, one of my favorite movies to watch at Christmas Christmas time is one called The Christmas Card. Now, I got to tell you, it's really, it's a chick flick, really. It's about this man comes home from a war in Afghanistan and meets this woman. She's already engaged to somebody else, and, man, he's got to. It's just a chick flick, man. It's just, don't watch it. Don't waste your time. But I love it. But my wife says to me all the time, because I usually watch that thing four, five, six times during Christmas. We got it recorded. Play it back, play it over again. Sometimes I watch it just in May or whatever. But the acting, my wife always says, man, the acting of that movie is just terrible. It's horrible, she said. And it is. It's terrible. I I mean, the the fact of the matter is, you know, uh, uh, it's awkward at times. They seem awkward around each other. It it doesn't have any of these prominent people playing in it. It's probably a very low-budget kind of a movie. And the acting is terrible. It's silence. They kind of stumble along the way. But, you know, something I like it. But can I tell you something? I want you to hear me and hear me well. Can I tell you that where some of the greatest and yet most undiscovered actors are in the world is the church, especially the Baptist church, because people walk in our churches week after week after week, and they've got all kind of junk hid underneath the floor of their life, and yet they walk in and try to convince everybody else, I'm okay, I am a okay. With all that junk in their trunk, I'm telling you something, Hollywood ain't got nothing on the Baptist church. You know why? We live in a world where people act as if everything is okay, and yet they got junk hid under the floor of their tent. Oh, they're they're convincing everybody else, I'm okay. Wonder how many people crawl up in the choir in Baptist churches every Sunday. Hey, wonder how many preachers get behind the pulpit every Sunday. Wonder how many teachers stand behind the podiums in the classrooms. Wonder how many people receive offerings. How many people stand up and sing the congregationals and they got junk hit in their life and junk here and junk there and junk hit under the floor of their tent. And ladies and gentlemen, they know and God knows and they're eat up with it and yet they want to convince everybody else, I'm okay. The step of deceiving. But there's one final step found, and that's this. So we have the step of discovering when I saw. Step of desiring I coveted. The step of deciding uh, I took it. The step of deceiving, oh, it's hid over there underneath the floor of my tent. But the fifth and final step is what I call the step of destructing. The step of destructing. Let me fast forward through the story and we're done. Let me fast forward to the story. Here's what happens. So the nation of Israel, with Achan, with this stuff, he had under the floor of his tent, goes out to fight a battle. Well, the first thing you know, they're going up against this small little country, and they say, man, we don't need everybody to go. No sense in taking a whole army up there. Uh, let's just take a few men, go up there, whoop the fire out of them, we'll be back in time for supper tonight. So they do that, and the first thing that happens, 36 men in the army of Israel is killed right off the bat, and Ai comes out and defeats the nation of Israel. When that happens, Joshua falls on his face before God. And, I mean, he's crying out, God, what has happened? I mean, one moment, victory, Jericho, the the, the river, flooded river. God, what is wrong? God says, Joshua, get off your face. In verse number 11, God says to Joshua, hey, there's sin in the camp. Somebody has taken of the accursed thing. And Joshua, this is going to have to be dealt with. 
And until this is dealt with, my blessings, my presence is not going to be on the nation. Now here's the thing that gets me about this. God tells Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Somebody is taken of the accursed thing. And Joshua, before you take another step, son, fight another battle, shoot another arrow, throw another rock, you're going to have to deal with this. Or, man, I'm not going with you. You're in a mess. You don't have me. You'll get the fire whooped out of you everywhere you go. Joshua, deal with it. But now here's the thing. God knew who done it. Joshua had no idea. So God tells Joshua in verse number 12 and 13, hey, go through the nation until you pinpoint the one who has done this. Now, why in the world didn't God just say, hey, Joshua, man, it's Achan. You know, he lives over there on the east side of the tabernacle. Yeah, over there off Hallelujah Boulevard. Yeah, he's, man, he's got some stuff hidden in the floor because God knew it. Why didn't God tell Joshua who'd done it? Why did Joshua have to go through the process of calling every tribe, tribe by tribe, family by Can you imagine how long that took? We're talking two to three million people, and he's got to call them tribe by tribe. All right, first of all, we're going to start with the tribe of, uh, uh, the tribe of uh, uh, Reuben. Yeah, y'all, everybody in the tribe of Reuben, come over here, and we're going to go family by family by family. We're going to find out what's going on here. Can you imagine? How long that took? Why didn't God just say, hey, Joshua is aching. Go get him. He lives over in the tribe of Judah. Man, go get him. Get him over here. Let's deal with this and get this. Uh, let's, let's just get this thing covered. Get it confessed. Get it over with. You know why I don't think God told Joshua who did it? Because God in his mercy and grace was giving Achan time to repent. I believe the reason that they had to go tribe by tribe, family by family, take hours and hours and hours is because God was saying, Achan, you've messed up. But son, I don't want you to be destroyed. Son, I don't want your family to be destroyed. Son, we got to get this right. And God was giving Achan time to repent. I wonder who I'm speaking to this morning. And God is sending you a word from the Bible this morning to get right, get it under the blood, get it covered, and don't mess your life up. God's giving you a chance to repent this morning and get it right. I don't know. You can't, I, I can't prove this. You can't disprove this. But who knows when Joshua said, hey, hey, nation, there's sin somewhere. We're going to have to deal with this. So we're going to start with Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Gad, Neptali, Asher. We're going to go all the way down through every tribe till we find out. Wonder, wonder, wonderful old Achan had went to his tent, got the garment, the wedge of gold, the shekels, and come to Joshua, tears coursing down his face and said, look, you don't have to go through all that. I'm the one. Hey, wonder if God wouldn't have said, okay, man, Confess it, get it right, get it under the blood. Let's move on from this point. But oh no, Awaken had to wait to be found out before he confessed up. And before the story is over, listen, I'm done. Before the story is over, Aiken's destroyed, his family's destroyed, and the nation has suffered a great setback and a defeat all because one man disobeyed God and had junk in his trunk. Amen. I preached this me message. I got a message I preach in a lot of youth meetings, and I'm 57. I don't know why in the world people want me to come preach youth meetings anymore, but I got a message that I preach out of this text, and the title of my message is this, When Achan Became Bacon. 
Because at the end of the story, if you'll look down in this story, the Bible said in verse number 24, that they took Achan, verse 25, and they burned him with fire. And Achan became bacon because he wouldn't listen to what God had to say. I wonder what man I'm speaking to this morning. You're taking your steps down the road to your own personal disaster that's going to destroy you, destroy your family, maybe a woman, maybe a teenager, and it's going to destroy you. But God this morning has sent you a message in mercy saying, hey, let's get it right. Let's make it right. It doesn't have to go this far. Bring it to me. Confess it to me, and I'll forgive you. Five steps to disaster. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.